Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. difficulties and troubles come into our lives and sometimes we don't know exactly how to handle them. I watched the basketball games uh, the last few weeks. I, I don't normally watch it in the season. I just like the playoffs. But here's what I like most that night. This uh, Jordan guy comes out and says, I have missed 9,000 shots. I've missed 9,000 shots. And then he talked about how many games where he had the last shot of the game and had he made the shot, he would have won the game. And he'd make the shot. And then he told how many games he'd lost. And then he said, my failures have led to my success. Wow, I like that. And that's what we've been talking about, that all of us have bumps in our lives and what we do in life really is determined by how we handle our struggles, how we handle the bumps in life, what we do with our failures. Because we all have failures. The greatest player misses often. The greatest baseball player strikes out fairly often. It's not that we're successful if we don't have these problems in our life. It's the very fact of how we deal with these problems, with these bumps, determines our success. We rise out of our difficulties to soar to heights of success. So today we talk about bumps that keep on bumping. We've learned a lot of things about bumps. We've learned that bumps are inevitable. They happen to all of us. I've never known a successful person in all my life who didn't have a lot of difficulties to overcome in his life. And that contributed to his success. It's true in the Bible. The luminaries, the giants in Scripture, they had great difficulties. And it was in the process of overcoming those difficulties, working through those problems, climbing over those bumps that made them the great men of God that they became. David said the trials of the righteous are many. Job said man's days are short-lived and full of trouble. Jesus said in the world you will have tribulation. Paul said we are destined for trouble. Peter said, think it not strange when you have all kinds of troubles, difficulties. So the principle is that it's not the bumps in life that make us what we are, but our response to those bumps, how we handle them. Whether we run from them, try to escape them, or resist them, try to retaliate, try to blame, or resign to the fact that Life is going to be this way. It will never be any different now that I'm, I've hit these bumps and give up or receive the bumps as inevitable. Know that God has a purpose and can work in and through those bumps and that those stones can be turned into stepping stones. Those bumps can be turned into blessings. Bumps are in God's permissive will. Not to burn us, but to bless us. Not to destroy us, but to develop us. Not to hurt us, but to help us. If we receive it wrapped in God's love and know that God is going to help us through the bumps of life and that His grace and power will be sufficient. Because you see, in everything that happens to us, God is talking to us, God is teaching us, God is testing us. 
God is transforming us. Where do these bumps come from? They come from sin. We live in a sinful world. We're surrounded by sinners. Sinners sin. A sinful society, we're going to have bumps. Self, we bring a lot of bumps in our lives because of our own dumb decisions, stupid mistakes. We bring things on ourselves. Satan brings some things into our lives because he wants to destroy us. He wants to keep us discouraged. He wants to keep us down. God turned Satan loose on Job. Job was devastated in the process. Also from sovereignty, from God. God allows or even sends difficulties, problems, bumps into our lives because it's the only way that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So Bumpology 101, here's the basic principle. Bumps happen to us in order that things can happen in us so that things can happen through us. That's a process. And you see, God is working in this entire process, and God sees the end from the beginning. God sees all of your life at one glance. And God is committed to that process. God says, one day you will be like Jesus Christ. You'll be in that image. One day you will be everything that you want to be and everything that He wants you to be. But in the process, you're going to encounter bumps, difficulties, problems, and God will use those for your good and for His glory. I want you to turn to John chapter 5. And I want to deal with two passages of Scripture today. One deals with a man who had a bump that kept on bumping, and it bumped for 38 years, and then God did something. The second story deals with a man who had a major bump that kept on bumping, and God didn't take away the bump. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now they had three major feasts. We don't know which feast this happened to be. The sheep gate is where the animals are brought in for sacrifices. This pool was 200 feet wide and over 300 feet long. So you're talking about a large pool, a large area of four sides and, and uh, one column in the middle, these five porticos of porches, and a great number of people, verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So great numbers of people came here, people who were helpless, incapacitated, people who had incurable diseases, people who could not walk, people who were lame, people who were blind and couldn't see. And they came day after day, but nothing changed in their lives. They were lying at the gate of dead religion, hoping for a miracle, and yet after the years went by, had given up on ever getting that miracle. In fact, these people, no doubt, had a comfort zone that they were comfortable just meeting together, coming together on a daily basis, all of them knowing that nothing was really going to change. Well, there was a, a story of that an angel would come and trouble the water and if whoever got in the water when it was troubled would be healed. That particular verse is not in the best manuscripts. But here was this man, verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. In the midst of this multitude of human suffering, there was one man 
And it was this one man that Jesus personally went to and gave him a miracle. Now, I want you to get from that that God knows who you are and where you are and what you need. God is never confused by the crowd. He is never limited by the crowd. Jesus never let the crowd get in the way of helping one individual needy person. So for those of you who think, well, God doesn't really care about me. He doesn't care about my problem, my situation. He won't help me. Oh, yes, he will. He is a personal God, a God who is in the eternal present tense. And he reached out to this one needy person in a multitude. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sounds like a dumb question. I mean, here's a man who's been an invalid for 38 years, a man who could not walk. And Jesus said, do you want to get well? But you see, Jesus, in all his wisdom, knew that this man had become resigned to the fact that he would never get well. Oh, he had all these excuses, these defense mechanisms. And he knew that it would never be any different, that this was his life. He was a hopeless cripple for life. And because of his attitude, he was not only crippled physically, but he was crippled emotionally and he was crippled spiritually. And that's why Jesus said, do you want to get well? Because you see, if you do not want to change, if you do not want the help that God offers, if you're not willing to be taken out of your comfort zone, then you're not going to ever get any better. Do you want to get well? That's the first step. Now, he was asking this question because he wanted to renew hope in this man. He wanted to jar him out of his comfort zone. He wanted to cut through those excuses and defenses. He wanted him to refocus his eyes because he was focusing on the wrong thing. Jesus wanted him to fix his eyes upon him, upon Jesus. But this man was looking at his problem and he was looking at the people around him. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Can't you just hear the whining? I have nobody to help me, nobody in the pool. When I get out, I get ahead of me. It's not fair, it's not right, I don't stand a chance. This is a Baptist. <laughs> His whole verse is one of complaint and blame. Nobody... Everybody else, everybody but me, a typical loser philosophy. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now look down at verse 14. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, remember we talked about the things that cause the bumps in our lives and we said one of those things is sin? Now, here Jesus makes a connection between this man's sin and his sickness. And Jesus healed him. He forgave him of his sin. He healed his disease. But he said, you stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So when something happens in your life, when there's a bump in your life that keeps on bumping, one thing you ought to always ask is, is it because of personal sin in my own life? Is there something that I can do about this situation by simply getting right with God? 
or by getting right with other people? Is sin the real issue? Well, to ask that. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, this man judged the present by the past. A lot of people are guilty of that. Nothing will ever change. It's always been this way. Day after day, month after month, year after year, 38 years it's been this way. It will never change. This is my life. This is the way it will always be because we judge the present by the past. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when you do that, you rule God out because God can do anything. God can change anything. The Bible says with God, most things are possible. No, with God, all things are possible. No exceptions. So God can do anything. So if you're going to say, well, my life will never be any different. I'll never get out of this mess. I'll never work through this situation. I might as well give up because this is just the way it is. You rule God out completely, and you may miss the miracle that God has for you. This man judged the present by the past. But then he had a wrong focus. He saw the problem, but not the possibilities. He saw the people around him. He saw what he didn't have rather than what he did have. And he played this blame game. Nobody will help me. Somebody always gets there first. Jesus says, take your eyes off the problem. Take your eyes off the people. Fix your eyes on me. I'm going to give you a miracle. And Jesus performed an absolute miracle. Here was a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. Instantly, he was totally healed. Can God do that? You know that he can. Will he do it? Not every time. He's sovereign. We don't know why he does it at times and doesn't do it at other times. Remember, there is a multitude of people, all of them in terrible shape, all of them needing a miracle. And Jesus focuses on one man and gives that man the miracle. Does it mean that he doesn't love the others? No. It means that he knows something we don't know, that he's up to something that we don't know about, that he has a plan and a purpose that he is working out in people's lives. And we have to trust him. Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. He's trying to say, I've been in danger. In case you missed it. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I have to pastor these Baptist churches. That's my own translation, but that's really what he says. He says, you think that list was something? Besides all that, I've got to be the pastor over these. See, he started these churches, and he was given pastoral leadership to these churches. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, that God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. Now, all these terrible things that he said, 
He's not exaggerating. He's not lying. He said, God knows that I'm not lying. Jesus knows that I'm not lying. They got all these false preachers, charismatic preachers uh, running around that are giving out false doctrine, and these people are leaving the true gospel, and they're running after these guys, and Paul is just sick of it. And Paul says, I don't want to boast. I'm crazy for even talking like this. But I'm telling you, folks, I, you put me in a situation where I got to boast. I'm telling you, I've suffered more than anybody's suffered. I've had it harder than anybody's had it. Not only that, I'm the best preacher of the whole crowd. Not only that, I have all of the accoutrements. I have all of the degrees. I have the, the, the pedigree. I came from the right family, from the right tradition. I've got it all. Not only that, I'm the hardest worker of the crowd. Paul says, I hate to say all this, but it's all true, and God knows it's true. Verse 7, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Oh, by the way, look at verse 1 and 12, chapter 12. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Now, not only that, he says, I get revelations from God. I get visions from God himself. Well, you can tell this man's going to have trouble with pride because he's been so blessed. He's had such great opportunities. He gets revelations from God, visions from God. And so pride was going to be a major factor. So to keep him from becoming conceited, one of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Now that thorn means a sharp stake to torment him. It's like a pounding fist hitting something. It shows intense pain. We don't know what the thorn was. Nobody knows. We don't know what the thorn was, but we do know that it was excruciating pain and it never let up. And we know that it was there for a purpose. And the purpose was to deal with that pride in his life. You see, pride destroys our usefulness. Pride keeps God from being able to work in our lives. God refuses to bless pride, whether it's in your life or my life. Paul had a right to be proud, and God knew that because he had been given so much responsibility, so many privileges, that pride was going to be a problem in his life. And so he gave him this thorn to torment him. Now in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He begged the Lord to take it away from me. But God never did. Now he says he asked him three times. I, you know, I've got a feeling that he asked him more than that. Uh, I haven't had anything compared to Paul. I battled arthritis since I was in the seventh grade in junior high school. And I've asked God to take that away. But I haven't asked him two or three times. I've asked him two or three million times. But he hasn't taken it away. But there's not anything wrong with asking. Paul said, I not only asked, I pleaded. I begged, take it away. But God did not take it away. Now, I want to show you Paul's attitude. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now look down in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Now do you remember what we just said he went through? And he caused this light and momentary troubles. Most of us, if not all of us, would have been done in by this stuff. But he says these are light and momentary troubles. And as a result of these troubles, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on these troubles. They're just temporary. They're momentary. They're light. But we fix our eyes on what is unseen, on God. For what is seen is temporary. Troubles are temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. They talk about a great attitude. I mean, this man had been through it. None of us have been through what Paul went through. I mean, he was stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned unjustly over and over, shipwrecked, beaten, lied about. And he said, this is light and temporary. And I'm not focusing on this kind of stuff. I'm focusing on God who's eternal. And he's just going to use all this stuff for his good. Now, that is an incredible attitude. But in spite of that great attitude, God still did not take away the thorn. I mean, he begged God. He had a great attitude. But God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. And God says, instead, I'm going to give you the grace to handle it. I won't take it away, but I'll give you the grace to handle it. My grace, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now, we've had two stories. One where God removed a bump that had been bumping for 38 years. Instantly, God took it away. And then we have a situation where God gives a man a bump that's going to keep bumping for the rest of his life, and God never takes it away. But instead, he gives grace to handle it. You see, you need to understand this basic biblical truth that when you encounter bumps, major bumps in your life, God will either take it away or he will give you the grace to handle it. And that's his choice. He will either calm the storm or he will calm you and let the storm rage. And I don't know why, but most of the time it seems that he calms you and lets the storm rage. I have a guess it's because God can do a lot more with us through difficulties and problems than he can through prosperity and a life of ease without problems. That's how we grow up. That's how we mature. That's how we become a blessing to others. You see, when I run into people who really bless other people, I realize that somewhere in their lives they have been deeply hurt. Because that's how we learn to bless other people, because we have been hurt. Know that God has a purpose. In Paul's case, he revealed that purpose. It was because Paul was vulnerable to pride. And he says, to keep you from being conceited, because I'm going to give you these revelations. I'm going to give you these visions. I'm going to use you to establish half the churches in the New Testament. I'm going to, to use you to do all these wonderful things, to write half the New Testament, nearly half of it. So you're going to be vulnerable to pride and conceit and I'm going to send this thorn into your life so that you have to focus on me. Rick Warren is a friend of mine who pastors a church out in California. We were with Rick a few weeks ago and he preaches to about 14,000, 15,000 people on Sunday mornings and on their special days they have 24,000, 25,000 people. And it's the largest Southern Baptist church in attendance in the country. He's written a book entitled The Purpose Driven Church, which has become the bestseller of all books on church growth in history. And he's doing a book now on the purpose-driven life. 
But as I spent some time with Rick and his wife a few days ago, Lee and I were with him out in California, I listened to him tell a story that I did not know. He told about a disease that he had. He is allergic to adrenaline. And when he gets excited, he starts having problems. And when he gets excited, uh, his face turns red. He begins as a flush. And his head starts hurting. He has intense headaches, excruciating pain. And then if he really gets excited, he continues to get excited, he cannot see. The, the congregation becomes black. Now, this doesn't happen occasionally. It happens every time he preaches. And Rick said, before I preach any message, anywhere I've ever preached, I've gotten down on my knees and said, God, I'm going to try it one more time, but I know that if you don't help me, I can't make it. You've got to help me bear the pain. And he says, my church knows that they just start praying for me. When they see my face go flush, they know that I may not even be able to see them, that I'm under excruciating pain, and they just start praying for me. But you know, we've not produced a Southern Baptist probably but a handful of people like Rick Warren. Nobody's done in church work what he's done. Nobody's written a book like he's written. And so I ask the question, had it not been for that pain, that thorn, perhaps there wouldn't be the huge Saddleback Church. Perhaps there wouldn't be that book that's going to bless church after church after church. It's going to touch every church in the whole Southern Baptist Convention. And who knows what will happen with this next book. Those God uses greatly hurt deeply. We don't know all the reasons why. We just know that God has a purpose and He has a plan. And that in this case, God gave the bump. It says, it was given me. And He gave it for a purpose. We also learn that it's okay to ask for relief. He begged God, I don't want this. Take this from me. Remember Jesus in the garden? He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup of suffering be removed from me. Let the cross be removed from me. If there's any other way. But there was no other way. And Jesus said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. God didn't grant Jesus' cry to say, let this suffering be removed. And he certainly didn't do it in Paul's case. And he may not do it in your case. But God did give him a word, a promise in the midst of that crisis. And I think he'll do that for you. Paul said, take it away. God says, no. But he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. And when you're at your weakest, I'll be at my strongest. When you're the most helpless, I'll give you the most help. My grace is sufficient. Let me tell you something. In your crisis... When you're having those bumps that keep on bumping, God has a word for you in the midst of that crisis. But let me tell you what happens a lot of times. We don't hear God's word because we're too busy talking, complaining, blaming, poor me, having a pity party, comparing ourselves to others and their situations. We're so busy talking that we don't hear God. But in everything that happens, God is talking to us. And God says, my grace is sufficient. My, my grace, you're never alone, I'm with you. My grace is sufficient. Present tense, God is the eternal present tense. And then he says, my power is stronger when you're in the most trouble, when you're at the weakest state. 
He says, when you get to the bottom of yourself and you're in a hopeless, helpless situation, that's when you have my peak power. And it'll always be enough. When you're at your weakest, then I'm at my strongest. My grace is sufficient. So when the bumps keep on bumping, God will either take it away or He'll give you the grace to handle it. And either way, He wants to accomplish His work in your life and He wants you to be a testimony to others of that work in your life. What are the bumps in your life that keep bumping? Is it disease or a disability? God may not take it away, but He'll give you the grace to handle it. And He will use it, remember, for your good and for your growth. Divorce? Maybe you're still in having that pity party and, and you're comparing your situation to everybody else's and you're blaming everybody and you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're stuck. And God may be saying to you, listen, now that divorce has happened, that's reality. You've got to go on with your life. I want to forgive you for mistakes. I want you to forgive other people. I want you to learn to practice forgiveness. I want you to be freed up inside. I want you to go on with the rest of your life. I want to use what's happened in your life to teach you. Maybe it's death. Somebody's died and it's close to you and you're still struggling with that and you're still blaming and, and you're still with the, the what ifs, the whys, and God's saying, it's time to move on. My grace is sufficient. And I want to take this and use it as a blessing in your life and use you to bless others. Maybe it's your marriage. You just hadn't gotten along for years and just the bumps keep on bumping. God may be saying to you, the issue is a sin problem, a selfishness problem in you or in your mate or in both of you. You need to work through that. Maybe you need to change. And only when you change will your mate change. But let God help you. Ask Him for a miracle. And He will give you the grace to work through those problems. Maybe it's a job. An irregular boss who drives you bananas. And say, what I need, the only way I'm going to ever be happy in life is to get another boss. God may say, no, you got this boss till you retire. Now, I don't want to run your lunch, but sometimes the reason the bumps keep bumping is because you still have not yet responded appropriately. And God's still trying to teach you. If you'd be a quick study and learn more quickly, you might move on at least some different kinds of bumps. You okay? Just a thought. But God is working your life. Maybe it's some besetting sin that just keeps tripping you up. It's interesting that most of us have one sin that the devil knows is our besetting sin, and he just keeps throwing that at us over and over. God wants you to have victory. Know this, that everything that happens to you has to be sifted through the permissive will of God and that whatever comes into your life comes gift-wrapped in God's love. God knows. God cares. God understands. People say to me, if I just knew that someone understood, God understands. God listens. God is sufficient. Let me tell you two things that God always seems to be working on in our lives. One is patience and the other is trust. I don't think he ever stops working on those two areas. See, the best thing we can ever do is wait on God. Waiting on God is never wasting time. 
trusting God. That's what he wants to teach us, that we can trust him. We can trust him with today. We can trust him with tomorrow. We can trust him with eternity. And patiently wait on God to work in our lives. Do what we can do. If you can do something to change your situation, do it. But if it's something that's out of your control and something that cannot be changed, then trust God and depend upon His sufficient grace. We could talk about many people, Dave Dravecki, Johnny Erickson, Tata, people who've had catastrophes, tragedies in their lives, and yet they've known their greatest ministry as a result of working through those bumps and of God using those bumps, not taking away the bump, not taking away the cancer, not taking away the paralysis, but broadening the ministry. Dad turned on the TV and a five-year-old girl saw the cartoon and immediately the bad guy, the mean cartoon character was threatening the good guys and the dad's about to flip the channels and the daughter said, Dad, it's okay, it's okay. It's not good now, but it'll be good at the end. That's the promise God gives you about your life. It may not be good now, but it'll be good at the end. And whatever is not good now, God says, I'll give you the grace to handle it. God on the mountain is still God in the valley. God in the good times is still God in the bad times. And God says, trust me. When the bumps keep on bumping, if you can do something to change it, change it. If it's beyond your control, trust God. Focus on God, not on the problems. Don't get into blaming. Trust God and believe that His grace is sufficient. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 